0: and welcome to Industry Night with me, Nikki Nellis, the show that takes you on the deep dive into the happenings of the hospitality industry. Now, sometimes there's a focus on culture and sometimes there's a focus on travel trends and sometimes there's a focus on passion projects, but it all comes back to the industry. Now, for those of you who are new here, welcome. And uh, a little bit of background on me. So for the last 20 years, I've been covering the DC food, wine, and hospitality scene via a variety of outlets, uh, you see me on TV, you hear me on radio, uh, my podcasts, and of course, where it all begins, the list listareyouonit.com, the online e-scene that tells you about everything happening in the DC metro area. And then when it comes to radio, you may hear me on WTOP, but you definitely tune in every Sunday at 11 to my husband and I doing Foodie and the Beast on 1500. We've been doing it now for 14 years, and it is always a bacchanal. Um, And you follow me at N-Y-C-C-I-N-E-L-L-I-S on Instagram, Facebook, and for the moment, Twitter. But that's where I am, unlike my guest, who is on later today, who is not on any social media, which we will get into later. Um, So I want to welcome you all back with me, and Happy New Year. So I'm at the Wine Lair here in DC, the private wine club. Uh, Normally, I'm in their private room, which is lovely and warm and beautiful, But today, I'm in the actual cellar, which is also lovely, but it's a cellar. So it's not so warm, but we're gonna power through. I'm very excited about it. Um, If you're looking around me, you see all these fabulous wine lockers. So members here at the wine Layer get to keep their wines here in their lockers. And um, there's a whole history to it. We'll bring John Karen back in at some point and he can tell us all about it. So I'm back from a few weeks of holiday insanity. Um, Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest, it was so nice not to be on all the time and to be able to walk a lot, which I love doing. um, Even though if uh, you remember, it was frigid out, Uh, but your girl here likes to walk between five and six miles every day and I bundled up and I did it because I um, eat and drink for a living. So i got to stay active to balance everything out. So let's talk about where I've been because the last two weeks I have been out and about. Christmas Day. Uh, we uh, used to do Chinese in the movie as Jewish people, real Jewish, not Jewish um, people do. But this year we hit Kevin Tien and Susanna Bay at Moon Rabbit and did Vietnamese and ate an incredible feast. If you have not had Susanna Bay's pastries, you are really missing some excellent desserts here in the city. And of course, Kevin Tien rots out a crispy, crunchy, amazing fried chicken, unlike any here. Um, I also actually had a party here at The Wine Lair. They do private events, so if you're looking for a really cool, cozy, interesting and unique place to host an event, Kathy Hollinger, the former head of RIMW and I, invited a bunch of uh, boss babes here to toast the coming holiday, and it was really quite the affair. Um, Bar Sparrow has opened. Uh, that's Johnny Sparrow. Uh, it's open now at the Capitol Commons right around the corner from Lardente. And I hit both because that's how I roll. Um, Bar Sparrow is supposed to be Basque cuisine. Some of the dishes are really good. Get the steak tartare. It's fabulous. The rest I feel like needs a little tune tuna. Um, and Lardente is killing it. It doesn't matter what day of the week you're there or what time you're there. The place is packed. David Deshaies, amazing Italian food, amazing vibe. If you haven't been, good luck getting a reservation. Uh, Caruso's, more Italian but casual Italian, has now opened up at Pike and Rose. Matt Adler and the team at Neighborhood Restaurant Group are knocking it out of the park there. Um, I've been twice already and cannot wait to go back. Who does not love a red sauce Italian restaurant? Um, new in Georgetown is my graffiti's Yellow, which um, I've also been to multiple times. Uh, Yellow started off of Albi in the Navy Yard. This is an actual cafe. Um, so he has all the amazing pastries, but also real lunch breakfast foods. Um, my favorite right now is the Zatar encrusted croissant stuffed with lebna. It is an absolute gene. Uh, Dream, excuse me. Also, if you don't know that Dauphine's serves lunch, it's one of the latest things that they are doing there, and the lunch is pretty amazing. So, Kyle Bailey and the team really put out a beautiful lunch that you could either stuff yourself silly with or have like a ladies who lunch kind of experience. you guess which one I did. All right. So now everything you just heard about can be found on the thelistaryana.com. Obviously, if you follow me at n y c c i n e l l i s on social media, you can see pics of all of it. Um, and also, if you want to stay up to date on like Dry January, Veganuary, all the ways you're going to be eating in and around the D.C. metro area, Restaurant Week, etc., head to the thelistaryana.com. Okay, it was a lot. On to today's show. So one of the biggest names in restaurant and retail real estate in the DC metro area, and probably nationally, but I know him locally, is John Asadorian. Uh, John is of Asadorian Retail Solutions, and he has so much experience, 40 years of experience developing really how you eat and shop in the DC market. He is an expert. And the reason why I brought him in today on this show is because everything we talk about in restaurant and hospitality, the one thing that I feel like people don't dive into is real estate, which you can't open up a restaurant unless you have a place. I mean, you could do it in your house, but that's not going to work very long. So I've invited John in today to sort of get down to the nitty gritty of what it takes to really be in retail or restaurants not just in the city here, but in the suburbs and across the country. So, hey, John.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: Great. Thanks for coming to me today. It's to be here. Thanks. So let's give people a little background. It's not like every little boy sits in his bedroom and says, when I grow up, I want to be a real estate magnet. So how did it happen?
1: Yeah, that definitely wasn't my dream. Uh, I'd be too embarrassed to tell you what I wanted to do when I was little. But, um, you know, one day light turned on in my head and I realized that, you know, D.C. was a city that I loved as a native and a Washingtonian, but it was lacking a certain vibe and certain soul. Mm -hmm. And um, growing up in D.C. in the city uh, in the 60s, yep, I'm ripe old age of 60. (laughs) I just remember as a family, we'd go downtown. The lights were bright. The shops were big. The restaurants were special. And uh, fast forward to being an adult in my 20s and realizing that we had lost some of that as the city started growing outward towards the suburbs and mm-hmm. the core of downtown sort of lost a little bit of that luster. And, um,
0: so is this the 70s or
1: the 80s? Uh, this, is, this is the 80s.
0: Okay.
1: So right out of college. Uh, so I developed a passion for bringing retail and restaurants back downtown. Mm-hmm. And I was given the opportunity um, with uh, a, a large developer, the Oliver Carr Company at the time, uh, to handle the leasing of their buildings. And I approached it with the... Uh, idea of what could be and i would walk the streets of new york i went to syracuse so mm-hmm. you know I, I was familiar with new york city i'd walk the streets of new york and that's would you Maybe know it's not
0: like syracuse is like near new york city but go ahead i'm with you
1: <laughs> exactly but you know I'd, I'd, I'd be like you know why isn't this restaurant in dc or why isn't this retailer in dc and i would just pick up the phone and call and mm-hmm. uh my first responses were we already have a store in dc or people in dc already shop our store and i'm like what do you mean they're like well they hop on a plane they fly to new york and mm. i'm like so I, I wanted to bring a little bit of that vibe to D.C., and I would cold call big names just to see if I could get them to come to D.C. And fast forward uh, 40 years later, I built a business on trying to create the city that I wanted to live in, uh, basically as an enlightened consumer that could pick up the phone and call somebody and sell them on an idea.
0: Well, that is an amazing path to follow, but I have, it it doesn't really get to the heart of how D.C. went from really more of a small-town feel in the 80s. Um, if you were to ask people what the neighborhoods were in D.C. in the mid-80s, they say DuPont, Adams Morgan, Capitol Hill, Georgetown. And that, was, min- and that was it. Am I missing anything? No, no. So how do we go from this sort of small, small-town vibe? And I just, I have to say this, because people always make the wrong assumption. Just because D.C. was small did not mean we didn't have good things. We just didn't have the breadth and depth of things because right. we also didn't have the space and the people who wanted those space.
1: Well, we went from being a government town uh, right. because the business of Washington was government. It wasn't flashy. I mean, you flashy. should tell the
0: New York Times that we are no longer a government w- Well, town.
1: We, aren't, uh, we have been found out not to be a government town, but you know, the business of D.C. wasn't flashy like uh, entertainment or wasn't uh, financially you know, glitzy like New York City right. glitz. So there's a misnomer that the people in Washington didn't have taste. Where you know we have taste, we have culture, we have affluence, but we don't have places. We didn't have places to express our our, our enlightened consumer dollars. Mm-hmm. So um, slowly, surely, as DC grew in the 80s and the 90s, our economy was always strong. Downtown was getting reinvented when when office started coming back into the East End. uh, Mm -hmm. Like Penn Quarter? Like Penn Quarter. Mm -hmm. And that created real estate opportunities where someone like myself with a a restaurateur in tow would sell an idea that, hey, you should be in the nation's capital, Mm -hmm. the nation's capital. Because it's ringed by affluent suburbs and people come into downtown to eat. And we have tourists. And look at this beautiful building and look at the law firms moving back into town. Mm -hmm. So then you would have people from outside of D.C. for the first time in many years looking to come to Washington. Chefs that are household names today, Bobby Flay. There was a period of time when I was walking the streets with Bobby Flay before
0: he was, he was before he was
1: Bobby Flay. Uh-huh. Um, Arizona and 206. Arizona 206 yeah. and uh, uh, Sierra Mascione with uh, Le Cirque. And, mm-hmm. you know, these were all just smile and dial and, hey, you should be in D.C.
0: But was that before? So there was sort of like maybe in the aughts. There was a moment where a lot of people in a lot of cities, so like the Bobby Flays or even the Michelle Richards, uh, Charlie Trotters, like people, rest, restaurateurs who were sort of in their city, Stayed within their city all of a sudden expanded greatly. Yeah. Right? Like sort of pre um, the, uh, 2008. Yeah.
1: You know, yeah. the recession. Yeah. yeah.
0: So was that, do you think how you saw things and what you wanted here, do you think that brought it, did it create a, a frenzy?
1: Uh, I wouldn't say it created a frenzy, but it created an opportunity because there was a confluence of logic and luck. OK, mm-hmm. uh, I would consider myself more lucky than anything because I, I had an idea and I pursued it. But I was lucky that the timing was right. Mm-hmm. I say lucky now because I look back on it and I go, wow, this really was cool how it happened. Right. But the bottom line was that I think on a national level, the restaurant hospitality industry saw a path for growth. Because in the past, a, a chef had a restaurant or a mm-hmm. group of people had a restaurant. And that was it. it was right. One chef, one restaurant. they're right. the... Not
0: everybody was a Wolfgang Pop.
1: Right. But there was a fine line between being a chef and an artist, if you will, and being a business and growing a brand. Mm-hmm. So when you start growing nationally, you can't be in five different places at once when you're supposed to be in the kitchen. Right. So you start to become more of a brand, like, let's say, a uh, Wolfgang Puck. Mm-hmm. So we, we sort of hit that timing with the availability of real estate in Washington. So we were a, 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 a table that was set, if you will, mm-hmm. waiting for someone to put the food on it. And these chefs came from other markets as they're looking at other cities and saw D.C. as wide open because we had a lot of great chefs here. But we're still a small market. Mm -hmm. You know, I I don't know the exact number of which city has the most creative chefs that create the most restaurants. But
0: at the time, I think there was, again, there was not the breadth and depth of space and there wasn't the people. I mean, the explosion of people in the D.C. metro area between twenty years ago and now, yeah. I mean, it's astronomical. Yeah. And then you needed, and then the building that happened, yeah, along with it,
1: yeah. Well, that's an interesting thing. Um, in the past, the, there was a core population that stayed here. If you're from DC, you stayed here. Right. But a lot of people would come to go to school here, right? Or they come here with the administration, and then they leave. They graduate from college to go back to but San did. Francisco. They they stayed right. exactly, and that's when the urbanization of DC sort of the people coming back into the city, mm-hmm. can, can sort of joined with this activity of chefs and restaurateurs that can expand so now we had a resident population that was young and eyes open stomachs open and it sort of met and created this urban trend that saw an explosion of well,
0: restaurants and i think the culture of of dining out changed so people wanted to put their dollars eating was entertainment right uh,
1: exactly uh, Americans as consumers, we entertain ourselves by spending money. Yes. Okay. So, I'm very good at it. <laughs> yes, I am too. That's why I'm a retail broker. Um, and you while away the time at the mall or fill in a blank shopping. Mm-hmm. Well, at some point, dining out became retailing. Right. So in today's world, I'm a retail broker, but I do mm-hmm. a lot of restaurant deals. People say, oh, you're a restaurant broker. Right. I am, but I'm a little bit of everything. But the predominance of work has been restaurants, food. You look around, there's a lot of food because that's how we entertain ourselves.
0: Right. But... I have so many things I want to talk about. So I want to go back a little bit and then I'll get to my other one because I want to talk about sort of if you have a restaurant, 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 and you want people to shmai around, they can't just shmai at restaurants. There has to be other retail or other things to engage them. So we're going to put a pin in that because I don't want to forget it. But let's go back to you bringing outside restaurants here. Like were you involved with El Molino?
1: Uh, I was not involved with Il
0: Molino. Okay, good, then. I can't blame you for it. <laughs> but so to me, when um, outsiders started coming to D.C., um, I think some of them were sold this, like, come to D.C., people spend money. You don't have to change who you are or what you do. And then the, the Il Molinos, the Lain de of this world came to town and be like, and you're welcome. Right. And D.C. said, you can go, screw yourself. Right. So um, the question is, is how do you sell to these outside uh, concepts and say to them, listen, when you come to DC, you're gonna have to make it for DC, like Wolfgang Puck and the source, like Steven Starr and Le Diplomat. Mm-hmm. I mean, you and I know Le Diplomat is Park, mm-hmm. but he made it Le Diplomat for DC. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I mean, it's one of the best grossing restaurants in the city. So, you know, mm-hmm. how what's your pitch? How do you sell in the ever changing market?
1: Um, it's not so much a pitch as it is a regulator, because to a certain extent, people's motivation for coming to D.C., it could be a variety of things. Uh, someone like Steven Starr is motivated by the actual character and the essence of the space and whatnot. Other people might be motivated by the deal. If someone says, hey, I'm building a new office building or I'm building a new residential building and I want your restaurant in my building, I'm mm-hmm. going to buy you. I'm going to pay you to come here. That's that that's that's a kind of deal that is risky because they're not in it the same way somebody who's gone all in emotionally. Right. And um, a lot the most successful restaurateurs, in my opinion, are committed emotionally, not just financially. Mm-hmm. If you're opening a restaurant because someone gave you a lot of money to open a restaurant, you're you're going to make a mistake. You're going to open in a location that people aren't going to. You're going to open in a space that isn't entertaining and doesn't have character. And Washingtonians, as much as we have so much mileage to go on how our palates will expand as consumers, mm-hmm. because we don't have many places to exercise that. So every time someplace new opens up, you as a consumer, your palate expands. You find something different. Sure. But if a restaurant opens and just placates everybody doing the same old, same old, Washington is not going to last. Right. You know. So it's a really tough place for people to do business.
0: Well, um, I think like a, a Momofuku, for example. Perfect example can maybe open, I don't know if they're in Dallas or Texas somewhere, but they can open in other markets and be successful where I think, I I mean, not I think, I know when they opened here, you know, the initial reaction was, I mean, we're going to support our locals. Katz's place is around the corner. Like we're going to go do that.
1: And it's not the momofuku that I know when I'm in New York. Right. So the risk that the outsider takes in coming here is, Mm you could potentially make that mistake. Right. I counsel the people I work with all the time. I ask them questions. I'm like, don't do what you did in the other city just because it was successful. Give us our own and you will succeed. Because a, to a certain extent, most people that walk in the door won't know this is a Stephen Starr restaurant or a David Chang restaurant. Right. They may they don't, come in. They
0: don't, they don't. They're not reading the dailies like we do. Right. Yes.
1: So without disparaging anybody or questioning their motivation, if you come into town with that kind of an attitude, you take a bigger risk that you won't get under the skin of the consumer and become that place. Right. Whereas if you're a local and your passion's in it, like some of the chefs we've mentioned, the restaurants are timeless. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes maybe the food might not be perfect. Those service might be slower, this and that. But you as a consumer don't notice that. You, you're there for the whole experience and it's authentic mm-hmm. versus someone that came in with a big name and maybe an out-of-town management group and the food was great and whatnot. But it was something was missing. Right. Yeah.
0: No, I mean, I think of, like, listen, when Daniel Balut came to town for DBGB in the city center, they really tried to do everything to make themselves a part of the community. You know, they did the whole event with the chefs. I mean, they really went all out. But at the end of the day, it was a disconnect. And even though it held on for longer than I thought it would, it just it never hit it yeah. right, yes. you know?
1: Now that you say that, if I think about it, for every big name chef that came into the city, mm-hmm. um, there really aren't any big name chefs that have restaurants in the city that are still open.
0: Wolfgang Puck. Uh,
1: well, yes, there are, there are a few. Few, yeah, yes, Michael, Mina and, and Michael uh, Mina and Michael uh, Mina at yeah. Urban State. But for the most part, mm-hmm. the most successful time in time out are the local chefs. Yes, whether they just started business last week or they've got seven restaurants, mm-hmm. um, they're resident. They're part of the community, and I think that comes through. In the, in the flavor of the food, if you will.
0: But do you also think, I mean, listen, with the major change in real estate in D.C., as well as our access to different restaurants, this happens to be an incredibly educated diner in this community. I mean, I guess you can say that in most major cities, but this city is not, if somebody comes in, like, you know, when we when Bad Saint first opened, you know, it's not like people are impressed. We're like, yeah, of course we have that kind of food, or tammy dip, or me or yeah. you know what I mean. Like, yeah. we're like, yeah, because yeah. we're an international city, so of course we're going to have cuisines from everywhere. Yeah. So um, the question is, is how do you balance working with the local people and bringing in the big business? Because yeah. I assume the big business has more money.
1: Um, not necessarily. Um, there's a lot of perceptions, and that's a very good question you ask. And sometimes when I'm asked questions like that, I, the, the answer is very simple. I, myself, through my eyes and my efforts, do not see that. I look at totally as the essence of the fingerprints of the person I'm dealing with. Hmm. What do they bring to the table? Whether it's Steven Starr or it's a, a startup chef that just left a big restaurant. Mm-hmm. To me, in my eyes, they're equal. It's a matter of what are you putting on a plate? What are you bringing into the restaurant as experience, a soul as character? You mentioned Kevin Tian. you mentioned Bad Saint. Mm-hmm. These are restaurateurs and chefs that d- they haven't been around as long. Nationally, nobody knows who they are, mm-hmm. but you can go in and have just as good an experience there as you could at Le Diplomat or any other restaurant oh, in town. So to me, it's not about size battering or, or any of that mattering. It's, it's the ultimate experience. So I always say the fingerprints. So uh, to me, the driver is, what's your passion? Why are you doing it? What's the food you're putting? And then in my mind, I'll be like, you know, There's this location in the Navy Yard, or Mm -hmm. there's this location in Reston, or there's this location in Ashburn, or there's Mm -hmm. this location in Bethesda. And I sort of marry the potential of the location, the market, the neighborhood with the chops of the operator. Mm. So uh, sometimes the big guys don't get the fact that there are opportunities in the suburbs because they're only looking at the big flashy things like the wharf. Mm-hmm. whereas the suburbs are huge opportunities. There's a ton of it's people so much money. with chain restaurants, right? Mm-hmm. The money's burning a hole in their pockets. So I'm on an education sort of process of showing people opportunity. I always ask people when I'm working with them, what do you want to be when you grow up? Mm-hmm. Everybody wants to make money, but you can only make money so long, because at some point if you're not putting something out consistent, right. you're at risk.
0: Well, but I will add to that. I think it's really interesting. Some of the people that we both know who have opened in the suburbs, um, don't really understand the suburb market. So if you think of, let's use Bethesda, Mm -hmm. okay, very, very wealthy area, Montgomery County, it's one of the wealthiest counties in the country. But if you open up a restaurant, we both know this because we've seen it happen, if you open up a restaurant with D.C. prices, these people with all their money are going to be like, I can go to D.C. for that. Yeah. I don't come here on a Tuesday with my kids after karate yeah. to pay $400 for dinner. Yeah. So understanding how people are going to eat in your restaurant in the suburbs, I think, is really important.
1: Yeah, well, especially post-COVID. Uh, yes. Because one of the things that shifted is the foundation of where people go, why they go. And mm-hmm. earlier you were talking about, well, if you've got restaurant, restaurant, restaurants, you know, what do you do to pass the time in between? And it's all very valid. What, why is someone going out to eat? Is it a special occasion? You know, are you going out for a birthday for someone special or is it just three people going out to eat? I mean,
0: Americans are where we really differ in the eating world is that if you lived in Europe, people are not going out to dinner or to lunch the way Americans eat out. We are, I mean, I'm a cook. I cook, you know, whenever I'm not out, but, you know, people... Order in or go out and spend their money on food, in, in, in an incredible percentage difference to what's happening in Europe. It's too expensive in Europe mm-hmm. to go out. Mm-hmm. They don't go out for mm-hmm. dinner. They're certainly not ordering in. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's a very different culture.
1: Yeah. Well, when you talk about spending four hundred dollars, you know, per person, let's say for dinner, mm-hmm. I live in Great Falls, Virginia. If I'm going to go out to eat. I'd rather if I'm going to spend that kind of money, I'm having a good time. I'm with friends, and I'm, I'm 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 in a space that's a little bit different than the restaurant around the corner from my house. Right. So for that reason, it might be hard to put to say that's going to exist in a in a Bethesda or whatnot. However, as people are, nobody has an answer to this just yet. As They're working from home more as mm-hmm. as they're not spending as much time downtown as the patterns of traffic and parking and all these other issues swirl around. Is there an opportunity for a higher price point experience in the suburbs or not when there wasn't? I don't know. But today, still, going to the wharf and sitting there and watching the sunset while you're eating at okay. uh, Del Mar, that's part of that experience. But, you know, spending $400 to eat on a side street in Bethesda isn't the same kind of experience. Right. So it depends on what you're looking for. And I don't think the die is cast yet on how that, if that'll change that way. But I think at the end of the day, people are just looking for, um, Really great food, executed consistently, great Mm -hmm. service, great value, great experience. And I think that the suburbs could exist just as easily as it could downtown. The Diplomat diplomat was in Tyson's Corner. That sounds so chain generic-like. The Mm -hmm. Diplomat works on 14th Street because it was a building with character and a great neighborhood it's character cleaner. Exactly. everybody in the
0: city looked at that
1: building the, 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 I, I used to say it's two buildings cobbled together if the rest right. stopped holding hands the buildings would fall down sure. you know and and steven had a vision and he put it together for a location no one else saw. but if you had a diplomat in tyson's corner on a beltway that pulls from 25 miles mm-hmm. imagine how much more money that restaurant would do because sure. of the character but the operator himself sees value in the bones of a building like that on 14th street than mm-hmm. a brand new office building in tyson's corner right but the market for consumers is huge out there because some of those people don't drive all the way downtown to, get, to right. wait for a restaurant they can't get into. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's the dynamic. That, you know, but I
0: also think finding the – so there's a couple things with that. It's respecting the people who are out there and who your diner is. So if you will, you know, a PR person was opening up a restaurant in Tyson's Corner, and she said to me, I really got to get you in there. And I was like, I mean, no, you don't. Uh, I said, I'm happy to go. And if you want to book them on my show or whatever, like those are things I'm totally cool to do, but you don't need me. You should not be looking from Tysons into DC. You should be looking in Tysons
1: out yeah.
0: because the people you want are the people in Leesburg or the, pe- the people who are going to come into Tysons. They're not coming from DC. Yeah. So I think it you have to really be smart yeah. when you're opening up in these other areas. Okay, wait, I'm going to yeah. go back now. So let's use the wharf as our example. Okay restaurant, restaurant, restaurant. While you're working on these kinds of developments, as they are literally coming out of the ground, what is your process? How do you curate? How do you make sure what you're bringing in? I know you have a vision. I know there are things you want, but how do you go about to make it something that people will enjoy, which would therefore make it successful?
1: Yeah, well, you know, uh, if you you look at what's happening in the DC area, at least in the 40 years that I've been in the business and the sixty years that I've been walking this earth as a native, um, a lot of neighborhoods have lost their character from a retail perspective. Mm -hmm. They're they're the same stores you see every five miles, the same coffee shops, the same this, the same that. So when you have a piece of real estate like the wharf or some of these other uh, neighborhoods, union market or the yards, where there's so much interesting character, um, you sort of do a disservice to not think out loud as to, Well, we could just put, you know, fill in the blank, this chain restaurant because they were willing to pay the top highest rent Mm -hmm. versus this operator that has a story to tell. I always look at businesses as what's their story? Who's the owner? Why are they doing this? And could that add value to this piece of real estate? The Wharf is one of the most visible locations in the entire metropolitan area. If you drive over the 14th Street Bridge, you're there. Right. So the biggest disservice to do is to put, you know, The the, the gap there. Right. Okay, you can buy the gap anywhere. But maybe you do something like Todd Thrasher opening a rum distillery. Right. Before the wharf opened, Todd Thrasher did not know how to distill rum. I talked to Todd Thrasher um, about doing a possible bar.
0: Well, and- so for those who don't know, Todd, who now does Thrasher's Rum, but Todd was the original bartender with PX. It was the first speakeasy in the D.C. metro area with mm-hmm. Cajal Armstrong and mm-hmm. his wife, Michelle, mm-hmm. uh, ex-wife, Michelle. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh it was called PX and mm-hmm. it was over in Alexandria. Yeah. So he was one of a couple of bartenders in the area that sort of ushered in the cocktail explosion in this city.
1: Yeah. And I like how you said bartender because he's not a mixologist. No, he's, he's a bartender. Are
0: you kidding? I've been educated. On exactly.
1: That. And to me, that's the essence of creating a place, let's say a piece of real estate like the war.
0: Mm-hmm. We
1: could have gone and uh, done leases with brands, big names that wouldn't be in the kitchen. Uh-huh. and that would be, in my opinion, a sell-out because as a local, as a consumer, I don't I don't need to go someplace just because of the brand. I want an experience. Right. As a tourist, you do the tourist the service As a business travel, whoever the cons- consumer is going there, don't just placate them with what you think is going to work because mm-hmm. this guy paid the highest rent. Put something that's authentic, a story, so that when you go to the wharf and you see this rum distillery that in big letters says, make, make rum, not war. Right. How ostentatious is that in a city like Washington? And there's a guy named Todd Thrasher, Mm-hmm. who's a bartender, you know, that's the essence of authenticity. And mm-hmm. I could go through that example with many fine establishments in a city, but that's what I wanted to do at the wharf. And to the extent that I had the privilege and honor and was invited to add my input onto who to put where, that's what we tried to do. We tried to curate, ah, gosh, I hate that word, but try to put together. But it's,
0: it is fitting in this. It is overused. I appreciate that. Yeah. But years ago, like I'll use Rockville Pike as an example nobody was curating anything (laughs) it's just bang 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 it's ugly nobody wants to walk it nothing about it is attractive there's no thought process obviously it feels that way but you know when you go to the wharf or when you go to the navy yard or even when you walk around shaw you really or 14th street you really do get a sense that somebody is thinking about the aesthetic about what the person is going through, except, although I will tell you, at the war, clearly a man decided on the cobblestones because <laughs> those things are going to hurt a girl. I mean, seriously, yeah. you cannot walk in heels the on women this. in my
1: life, you know. Have they told to, you? Oh, yeah. They, they're like, here's a comment card that you should pass on. Yeah. but It's you know, Monty
0: Hoffman, right? Uh,
1: I, Hoffman, Madison. Yeah. I told him. Yeah. yeah. I was yeah. like,
0: the cobblestones, dude. Yeah, yeah. Seriously.
1: <laughs> well, you know, you can't win for trying because one of, the bea- one of the beautiful things about someplace like the wharf, in my opinion, was everything about it was authentic. So there mm-hmm. wasn't stamped concrete pavers. There was cobblestone. Right. I remember seeing these masons sitting there on their knees chipping the stones, putting them in. Mm. Um, but to your point. Um, yeah, I, I I, think that uh, curating, placemaking, merchandising, it's it's. It's, it's not that hard if you are aware of the options, and then you sit down and you pursue them. You talk to a Cajal Armstrong, you talk to a Fabio tribuki you talk to a, a, a Todd Thrasher, or, and, and you say, here's an opportunity. It may not be what you were thinking because you weren't thinking about the waterfront. You were thinking about Georgetown or DuPont Circle or whatnot, but look at it for what it could be. And Todd's a good example. He didn't know how to make rum. He he signed the lease he went to moonshine university in west virginia right. learned how to distill them yeah. i remember seeing videos on his instagram of a still in his backyard mm-hmm. um you know and now you go and it's a it's a legit place um so so that was the whole uh strategy behind that and frankly everywhere else when we did leasing at the yards and michael Babbin opened up blue
0: jacket yeah
1: that that was a passion of his it was with him greg him engler and uh greg I, engler
0: yeah no no oh. no anger yeah uh no, I was thinking of, I remember when Michael White opened up Osteria Marine.
1: Oh, yeah, exactly. And I
0: remember being like, I didn't even know it was called Navy Yard then. Right. And I was like, what is Michael White doing? doing... Opening like, exactly. 14th Street was just starting to like exactly. pop. And I was like, is there something going on in the Navy yeah. Yard I didn't know about? Uh, yeah. And there was.
1: Yeah. My, my favorite saying, and I can't say it out loud, but I'll just use the word, I was like, you know, I want, to, I want to go somewhere and hear, overhear somebody go, how the F did that happen? Right. Michael Marini at the Yards. And this is before there was anything else I there. I said it. Yeah, I was exactly. Like, and I
0: did know how it happened. Yeah. But I was like, I wonder if that was good advice. Yeah. And then, you know, when Union Market, when it was first coming out and, you know, the whole thing about the market mm-hmm. uh, and building it as this amenity to show people if you build it, they will come. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one of the things that I always tell people, because I did some work with Jody, Uh, Not in your capacity, obviously, Mm -hmm. um, was that they had a plan. They told everybody they could about it, but they also did incredible programming from day one. They had events there, and they did festivals there. They brought people in from all over Mm -hmm. so that going down to that area was not odd. Mm
1: -hmm. They they walked the talk, and that's a lot of times part of the challenge with retail real estate at scale, the motivation of the ownership of the project or their abilities, same with opening a restaurant, the motivation, mm-hmm. the ownership, their abilities. But if you have a certain vision, it's frankly quite simple. I the overused term, keep it simple, stupid. Right. If you believe in this and you do the right thing with the right people, the success will come. Mm-hmm. If you try to manufacture the success, again, you're at risk that the wheels fall off because it wasn't authentic. Right. There's no place more authentic as much as it might feel contrived today because it's been so successful as union market. I mean, if you told me, as a Washingtonian, that you would see the kind of vibrant activity there. Oh, yeah. I, I'd say you're crazy. You Me know, too. I'm afraid of getting, you know, mugged down there, mm-hmm. you know, 20 years ago. But now, you know, when Nick Stefanelli opened Masseria, uh, for what that experience and was. People did,
0: and people did get mugged, by the way, when they used to walk from Union Market to Masseria when it first opened. It was still yeah, it was yeah. still a little But Hey,
1: that's urban living. You get mugged in New York. Listen, yeah. you get
0: mugged, I can get mugged in front of my house. I live in suburbia. <laughs> yeah, Anything yeah, is possible.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: But there was a commitment. And I, you know, they, Jody said to me, Jody, what's the other guys?
1: Steve Boyle. Yeah, yeah.
0: Steve. He said, we want this to be the meatpacking district of D.C. Yeah. And I was there a couple of weeks ago. I mean, I'm there often, but yeah. I was really walking around because now the other side yeah. of um, Florida, whatever that street is. You know, all the oh, new, new York town. Avenue. Yeah, oh, new yeah, York. Florida Avenue. Yeah, yeah. No, Florida Avenue. Yeah. Yeah, 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 And I'm walking around and I'm like, they did it. Yeah. I mean, they really, Yeah. yeah. they had a vision. Yeah. And they did
1: Really stuck to it. Yeah, we're, we're fortunate in the region that we have the kind of business leaders um, mm. and the public process that that gets it and does the right thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that brings up a question about some of the smaller local businesses, too. It is, it is unfortunate when you see the change and some big things come in. So back to your point about how to curate a merchandise. I always try to weave in something that is local because change is going to happen no matter right. what. But how do you? How can you preserve that? You know, how can you maybe work with someone that's small business, local, that has a future and has a business plan, mm-hmm. and and that's another way that you sort of infuse that into the merchandising. And Edens was, did that very well at, um, uh, in the market with a lot of small businesses that they have in there. Well,
0: they really gave a platform, much like you gave to Todd. They really gave a platform to the Amanda McClements of this world.
1: Absolutely. You know,
0: um, it, it. They did that with a lot of people, Gina Treservani. Oh yeah, for um, sure. You know, people who. You know, even the Rappahannock guys. Oh yeah, that I was mean, our first.
1: That was our first. Uh, the distributor yes. of uh, yeah. oysters. Yeah. So, yeah. Um,
0: so my, I guess the question is though, as DC becomes bigger, as we have all these fabulous neighborhoods, yes, there are tons of new buildings. Everybody wants a splashy restaurant because alcohol sales make money. How do we afford the by square foot? Like, I'm going to go back to Johnny Sparrow for mm. a sec. Mm. So I went to Bar Spiro. It's a really large space. It's a very uh, specific concept. He's an amazing cook. Absolutely. He loves his tweezers. <laughs> they are effective. <laughs> but I don't know if that concept can feed 120 people on repeat seven days a week. And, I mean, it, my heart kind of struggles when I walk into a space like that and I, you know, and I don't know, I mean, Johnny's other restaurant, is like 40 people. I mean, it's a big difference. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, you know, I use the word regulator uh, in the past and as Mm -hmm. much as I'm a deal maker and I go out there and I promote business and whatnot, um, the people that I have the opportunity to sit in front of whatever side of the table I'm on, I try to be a little bit of a regulator too because um, it's easy to get carried away. Now after COVID and whatever state the economy is in now, it's harder to do business. The cost of, Everything has increased. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are people out there still looking to expand. And you, you, you need to advise these people. They need to be aware that this may sound great right now. This is all beautiful and shiny and whatnot. But it's very risky territory right now. And I will tell you that as one that's sort of been part of the table-setting process, I myself don't have answers. And I advise people to ask more questions. Mm-hmm. Because right now, in the next 12 months, between the over 10 new restaurants at the wharf Right. Four over. There's at least four new restaurants in Union Markets. The yep. The Star, Keith McNally. And um, Georgetown
0: is also Georgetown. exploding.
1: So let's just round it up and say in the next 12 months, there's going to be 25 new restaurants opening in D.C. Restaurants C.
0: of note.
1: Restaurants of note, exactly. Not even like the Pidley right. restaurants, right. but the restaurants so of let's, note. So now let's talk about the suburbs. Just in Tyson's Corner, right. uh, there's at least five new restaurants opening. Mm-hmm. The Salt Line guys opening, on Mateo and uh, Pepe Malcoyo in Reston, in Bethesda. So now let's say within the region, there's probably at least – 30 to 35 restaurants. Mm-hmm. Now, you and I as consumers, if you know we're finite, we have a height limit in D.C., how many of these places are we going to go to? And, and we may go originally because of the honeymoon and they open up great. Mm-hmm. But to your point about a, a restaurant of size like that, it's, it's you know...
0: Well, the question is, is, first of all, yes, how many are we going... You and I are different. We're going all of them. Yeah. But how many are we going back to? Right. And um, But the, uh, the other questions are... Is do we have the ability, the staffing, to I mean, to to fill those restaurants with people who could do service? Now, like when I went to Yellow the other day, mm-hmm. I was like, where'd you get all this? staff? Mm-hmm. Like that place was packed with people. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, my phone blows up regularly, like who do you know? What do you know? Like yeah. I need people. So we were already in a staffing shortage Before. pre-pandemic. So now that we're here now, I I know these big restaurants are opening. and Well, actually, that brings up another question. With all these new buildings, there's so much construction. I mean, when you're driving into D.C., you know, it's crane, 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 Mm -hmm. which is very exciting. Mm -hmm. But it feels like most of these restaurant or retail spaces are so large. Mm -hmm. And you need big shoes to fill those large spaces. Mm -hmm. Is Mm -hmm. there a way to communicate to the builders? Like, hey, maybe let's... So it's
1: often smaller spaces. Um, going forward, you won't see that as much. Okay. Um, a lot of things that you see today probably st- started construction two plus years ago. Mm-hmm. So times were different, and they've changed so quickly right now. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of those pieces might not get occupied, okay. um, and I think that there will be some corrections. Um, and labor was a problem beforehand; it's going to be a problem going forward, mm-hmm. and it's going to be survival of the fittest. Because, consumer, that's one thing about us. You and I may go out a lot and whatnot. We're loyal, but we have options. Mm-hmm. So, loyalty doesn't factor into the question as much as it used to. There's that favorite restaurant you would go to every Friday night. Mm-hmm. Now you got three to pick from. Right. You know? So, it's going to change. And, um, I, I mean, things will work out, but it's not as easy as people think. Uh, mm-hmm. Because people are already starting to look at other options as far as whether it's downtown versus, forget Tyson's and Reston, Ashburn. Right. Forget. Bethesda, it's further up 270 uh, in Potomac uh, or Gaithersburg.
0: Sure. Well, and I guess the question is with that, is it also because the real estate is cheaper? You know, like when there was the mass exodus of great chefs in New York and they all went to Brooklyn and Hoboken. I mean, I don't feel like that's what we're seeing because I can't imagine Germantown being some sort of culinary hub. I'm going to
1: flip it on its head right now. It is the other way around because right now, the prices in the city are, have fallen oh. rent-wise versus the suburbs. Really? Yeah, because post-COVID, the whole question about the work week, mm. you know, if you were an attorney that lived in Montgomery County but worked downtown, and now you're working downtown three days a week right. or two days a week, um, and you got used to for a year and a half or two years working out of your home or your office in mm-hmm. wherever, in Tyson's or whatnot, now all so sudden you're your your patterns have changed right and so maybe you're going downtown less often but but for more specific reason Mm -hmm. so uh and with abundance of space downtown the prices have shifted so the rents are a little bit lower or uh, let's put it this way there's places where there's negotiability in rents when there weren't before okay now in the suburbs where the traffic is consistent whether it's Mm -hmm. highway or density of office buildings or people that live there this conversation earlier when you talked about how do you get people to come into the city, much less to leave space in the suburbs, it's starting to click. So people are starting to say, well, you know, the cost of doing business in the city is high, and the traffic's not there, and there's much more competition, and labor's an issue. Mm. But if I go out to the suburbs, a near metro, labor's easier to get to, there's less competition, the rents are a little bit cheaper, mm. well, now the rents are going up. Right. But at the end of the day, rents are a function of sales. So most spaces are priced based on what the landlord thinks the tenant is going to do in sales because there's a formula of how much they can afford. Sure. Where it gets a little bit high is when somebody, an owner of a property hears that the space across the street went for a certain amount of rent, they're going to want that or more. Mm -hmm. And that's where that disconnect sometimes occurs. So I think the cost of real estate is an issue, but it's, it's, it's not so much downtown versus suburbs anymore. Okay. Yeah.
0: I mean, sometimes I just walk into the space and I, I'm not great at math, um, but I start doing the math in my head and I'm like, I know I'm not great at math, but this is not yeah it, it doesn't add up. Yeah. You know, you see like three chefs in the kitchen or two psalms or something. I'm like yeah. that's not gonna work. Yeah. So I mean I appreciate where the thought is. Yeah. DC is an amazing dining town. There are great places to eat and it's an amazing uh, cultural hub. But uh we're not there's not a ton of places where people are gonna go like La go for, you know, four hour lunches. Yeah. You know, yeah. like that's just not our culture. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Okay. Quickly before we wrap yeah. up, um, what are you not off the record because this is on the record? <laughs> but what are you looking forward to? There's you mentioned thirty restaurants. What are you excited about with uh, 2023? Man, or maybe I, into 2024 because you know how it goes. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Man, I'm I'm really excited to see uh, uh, Manetta Tavern opening in uh, mm. Union Market. Keith McNally, McNally. I, I got to know him and. He's and a they, character. They, I mean, if you think his Instagram posts are something, I mean, he's a he's a gem of a man. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, so it'll be interesting to see um, Stephen's new restaurants, um, you know, from Georgetown with Nancy Silverton to uh, Pastis and O that he's going to open in the market. Mm-hmm. Uh, Michael Raffiti with what he's got on the books. Um, you know, there's some really great restaurants that are going to open. Uh, the long shop hospitality guys with Amateo and Tyson's, mm-hmm. uh, be a Tex Mex restaurant of the kind we haven't seen. Um, I think that's going to be phenomenal. Um, all of the new restaurants opening at the wharf uh, Lamani, Greek restaurant on the waterfront, Philippe Chow out of New York, mm-hmm. uh, be a, a, a white tablecloth Chinese restaurant. I don't know if you remember Mr. Cave's. Yes, today. of course. Uh, I'd say, sort of on the lines of that. Right. I think there's some really mm-hmm. great things coming along that um, will we'll keep our palates sort of. Um, you
0: know well plus there's so many new real estate places like i think of where La dente is mm-hmm. or i think about where shoto is mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. there's all these little pockets now mm-hmm. of multiple concepts mm-hmm. you know like where i don't know what the area is called where dauphines is and shoto but it's midtown, like yeah yeah midtown right you know there's that uh Graz um Grazi no, Nona. Grazie Nona, yeah, and then yeah. there's the chicken place. Yeah. Like, there's so much in there. Yeah. It's you're, yeah. you're sort of like, how did this, yeah. how did this all come to be? Yeah. It's very cool.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, that and uh, the, the wharf's done, but the waterfront. So I think you've got to look to Capua Riverfront and now Buzz Point. Because um, well, it's
0: all going to connect.
1: It's it's the whole of the donut. And it's, they're great neighborhoods with character. They're buildings with character. And if you put restaurants in there with character and vibe, it creates that sort of that energy. And so. I and
0: mean, if I can add, hmm. the walkability.
1: Oh, absolutely. So to be able
0: to walk from the Navy oh, Yard yeah. around Buzzard's Point and then to walk yeah. as a walker yeah. and to walk the wharf, that to me, like, I can't believe we squandered so much time to not give DC yeah. that view. Yeah. yeah. Right?
1: Yeah. yeah. And when you add in the entertainment components of it, whether it's the anthem or yep. in the stage, uh, a soccer game, a baseball mm-hmm. game. You know, you can have dinner at the Wharf and walk to a soccer game. It'll take you forever in an Uber or a car, it's a parking Good lot, right. you know. Right. But just that vibe, it didn't exist in the city for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Georgetown Waterfront, people would always say, gosh, it'd be great if I could just walk more than the distance of Washington Harbor. Right. You know, but. And um, not get hit by
0: a problem. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, John, yeah. you're not on any social media. I don't know what's wrong with you. <laughs> so uh, tell us where we can find you if people want to open up here in DC. Yeah, the
1: only social media I have is on Instagram. It's retail ninja at retail ninja. Oh, okay. Uh I was I was once labeled that by a client. Um, okay. but uh yeah uh that or uh as dot com, dot com. Great. Yeah. Thank
0: you so much for yeah, being here. So, I'm sorry. Chat to with surprise.
1: you forever. Yeah we love it. Um,
0: and I want to thank you for joining me today. So, a couple of reminders. So much is happening in the DC metro area. I mean, you just heard snippets about it. But check out the com, the online e-zine that tells you about everything happening. The calendar is chock-full, restaurant week is coming, and uh, promotions galore are happening. Restaurants are ready to serve you uh, and are a bunch of bars. Check out the openings, too. A lot of the places John and I talked about, they're all in there, so you can stay up-to-date on where to eat and spend your dollars. Um, and follow me at NYCCI, N-E-L-L-I-S, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter for the moment, uh, on all my dining and travel adventures. Lastly, a little note. We talked about staffing shortages, it's still a real thing. And I just want to remind everybody, especially with Restaurant Week coming up, to please take your kindness pills when you dine out. No restaurant wants you to have a bad experience. It doesn't make them money. So uh, just remember to take a deep breath, maybe take a pill. Be calm, order a glass of wine, and just have a good time. That is the point of dining out. Uh, So thanks for joining me today. Uh, Mary Beth Albright joins me next week. We're talking about her new book, It's Going to Be Delicious. Uh, This is Nikki Nellis with Industry Night. Have a delicious week. Produced by HeartCast Media.